0: Welcome to The Thing About Health Coaching, the first ever podcast from Your Coach Health, where we discuss advancements in health and wellness coaching, trends to watch, and the growing body of research.
1: This episode was generated from conversations that occurred at our Global Health and Wellbeing Coaching Symposium in November of 2021, with a focus on the building blocks of happy humans and how health coaches support along the way. Please note that the industry is rapidly changing, so some of the information discussed may be outdated. For the latest compendium of research, be sure to follow along with us and check out our latest health coaching report.
0: We enjoy bringing you each and every episode, and it would mean a lot if you could rate this podcast in your favorite player. And of course, hit that bell to be notified of future episodes.
1: Welcome to the third keynote of our symposium. Um, I've been waiting to have this discussion with a dear friend. Uh, I would also say an inspirator, an innovator, uh, and also a polymath doctor who creatively blends his passion for health, innovation, and storytelling to empower positive behavior change in both life and work. And as we know, behavior change is a key component of uh, health coaching. So welcome to day three, uh, Dr. Gautam Gulati.
2: Thanks for having me, Eugene. Lovely uh, to be here.
1: Maybe, you know, a, a little bit, let, let's obviously give me a little bit more background on yourself and especially how, you know, the, the theme of the conference is all about happiness, right? Um, and how you came to start thinking about happiness in your journey, uh, and what made you actually do, do some more research on it?
2: Yeah, for sure. So let me first preface and say, like, listen, I'm not I'm not a scientist or a PhD on happiness. I think there's a lot of smart people out there who have tried to solve uh, the issue of of defining what is happiness and how do we essentially get there. And so. Um, you know, like I think, you know, any, uh, you know, anything that really gets instigated, I, I had my first foray into trying to understand what happiness is, um, when I had a traumatic event in my life. Um, and it was not just a traumatic event and it turned out to be a series of traumatic events. Uh, the the first event was, uh, when I had to sit on the bedside of my father who, uh, was, uh, slowly withering away with Alzheimer's and having to write his obituary while he was sort of, sort of passing away and and really just sort of getting me understand, not just in thinking about his legacy, but my legacy. And what are we truly living for uh, when we end up hitting our end of life? And so that was sort of my first foray into sort of digging around and probing around some of the different ways of achieving happiness and, and really reflecting on my own life. Then a few months after that, my mother-in-law ended up having a, a, a near death debilitating stroke. So again, reinforcing, uh, this issue of, of what are we living for? If she can't move, if she can't function, is there no quality of life? And how does it relate to health and our wellness and our well-being? Um, and can you truly be happy living in that uh, form and function with limited capabilities to be able to, to self-serve? And then a couple of months after that, I myself experienced something traumatically in a physical injury when I was in Africa and uh, ended up having a, a horrible knee injury in the middle of a safari that had to get I had to get medevaced out. But um, you know, a lot of critical decisions that were made in terms of, um, you know, how we're going to achieve uh, and, and, and get uh, assistance for help. Am I going to, is my leg going leg to be amputated? The impact on my family who was there with me at the time. Um, so a lot of unknown questions. And I actually had about three months I was bedridden post-surgery, um, you, know, uh, you know, once I came back to the States. And so of course you have a lot of time to reflect. Mm-hmm. And I started looking into some of the research of you know, Gretchen Rubin and her happiness project. I look, looked and studied the global uh, national happiness index created by Bhutan, the country of Bhutan. Yep. Um, I looked at some of the works of, you know, coming out of the Harvard study in terms of their 75 year study on happiness and Naval Ravikant. So really I've sort of pieced together what I believe is my own take on happiness, but uh, you know, the conversation of course, pulls in from from some of those experts.
1: Yeah, and maybe we'll, we'll let, let's double click on that, right? Um, also, when you sort of Google and search uh, on happiness, uh, you know, Tim Urban's uh, definition also comes in. Uh, and, and, and I'm pretty sure you've come across it. Uh, any, any comments on that before we dive deeper into uh, others? You, you mentioned a couple of other things in there that I want to double click on. But yeah, let's start I- with Tim Urban.
2: Yeah, we we can do that. I think in order to understand Tim Urbans, which I can explain in a second, I I can probably just give you my take and sort of my culmination of having, you know, coalesced everything I've learned about happiness and give you my take. And then we can unpack that and talk about the influences, including Tim Urbans and how all of those fit into sort of my take of happiness. So the way I see it is happiness ultimately is a state of being, right? So what is that state of being? Being. Uh, From, uh, of course, my perspective and angle always comes from the health angle. So the state of being for me is the physical, emotional, and spiritual elements that go into happiness, right? And so happiness also, then if I layer it down another level, is not binary. It's not either I I am happy or I'm not happy. It sort of falls on a spectrum. Um, And that spectrum varies by individual based on their individual circumstances and their experiences. And that can fluctuate and change over time right? So happiness does not have to be something static, the defining factors can actually change over the course of time, depending on young, old, different circumstances, where I am in my life, et cetera. And then thirdly, uh, you know, the spectrum is essentially influenced by both intrinsic and extrinsic factors, right? Things that happen within inside me and things that are influenced by the outside. So that's kind of how I see happiness uh, in terms of defining it. And I think the inputs are very different for individuals. And then we can talk about, you know, some of the ways people like Naval Ravikant or Tim Urban or some of those guys think about um, happiness. And and as you mentioned, Tim Urban, Tim Urban actually, I love his his simplest uh, simplistic definition of happiness, which is happiness equals reality minus expectations. Yeah. We we'll repeat that. Happiness equals reality minus expectations, and I think that's very um, that's very accurate. I don't think that's the only way to define happiness. I think that's a, a component of it, but I certainly do believe that his take on it is true as well.
1: You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, you always have the motto of kind of under-promise overdeliver, over-deliver, right? And I think that, um, you know, yes, that's on the business side, but if you think about your own days, right, we, we also, you know, that this is how I look at it. Um, personally, it's, uh, you know, we all kind of ebb and flow throughout the day, and, you know, if you also setting your expectations high is a good thing, but also, you know, can you even to yourself kind of under promise, and this is kind of to the definition of, you know, there's things that happen to us, and how you react mm-hmm. to that, right, and, and back to your intrinsic motivation, and the, uh, you know, the extrinsic parameters that kind of happen to it. So,
2: well, I, I mean, I like that notion, because that, that, that basically tells me that, you know, according to the way that we define it, as there are things that happen to us. Um, happiness to some degree is a choice, right? Yeah. Because how yeah. we react, how we react to certain things can frame whether we look at it in a positive or negative way. And how we know that how we frame things can essentially uh, impact our emotional state, right? So, you know, you can, you can look at, we can both look at the same thing. I can frame it positive. One person can frame it negative, you know, to achieve happiness, you have to understand how to view that world. And from that positive you know, standpoint and perspective.
1: And maybe uh, you mentioned uh, the uh, the happiness study, uh, the Bhutan happiness study. Maybe just for our viewers and listeners, you can uh, kind of double click on that and give a little more details on that because that that's fascinating. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm
2: I'm I'm certainly not a historian buff, so there's there's probably things that I'm going to miss. But the but the the summary of it is essentially, um, you know, Bhutan was one of those uh, countries that um, was not a, up until recently still living in a very uh basic medieval way right so up until the 1960s dirt roads you know mm-hmm. not much electricity or running water things like that so it wasn't until the 1960s where they started creating the leadership started creating this framework for um the development of of the country of bhutan which is only about 700,000 people i believe so a very controlled environment um you know rooted in nature surrounded by tibet china and, and india Um, And it's this this beautiful country. And uh, they looked at the West and and these other countries and said, everyone's defining their uh, progress based on GDP, right? Gross domestic product uh, or gross national product, GNP. Um, And we believe that yes, money and wealth is a key component to success, but it's missing this element of happiness. And so they created... Um, at that time, uh, I don't know who it would be—the emperor, or the king, or whatever they define it over there—created uh, the Gr- Gross National Happiness Index, and including in those surveys was uh, measuring elements of happiness based on, you know, social connectivity, based on your emotional states, based on different surveys and questions that they asked. Um, but they incorporated that into the design of the country of Bhutan. Now. You know, a lot of people commended them for trying to achieve that, but um, it's easier said than done. Of course, no. and I'm not sure that they exactly solved for it, which opens up a whole different discussion of what works and what doesn't work in terms of defining happiness. And can you actually create happiness, or is this something, you know, like, can you create the environment for happiness, or is this something that intrinsically is is, is practically impossible? Because they are struggling with it for sure.
1: Yeah I mean it, it's not and we always have the studies as well or or the surveys right in the Nordic countries uh come up on top uh typically right so uh... And, and it's interesting how everything from the definition of it, and I loved your sort of comments as we're going through and exploring happiness, you know, what does that mean to an individual and a country, right? Uh, those could be very, very differently, and, and that's the scale challenge. You know, uh, since we are we are on the subject of people, um, and, and we've used this term in the last two days uh, through some of the panel discussions, et cetera, the, the great resignation, right? I think COVID in the last two years and still ongoing has put Put many pressures on us extrinsically, right, as individuals. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about happiness in the context of that great resignation and what you're seeing, and hearing, and, and and your sort of compilation of that to, to the happiness. Yeah, I
2: think there was, for sure, I think there was an interesting tweet, I think it was last week, uh, I believe by Tim Ferriss, but he said people would prefer grossly being unhappy over uncertain, <laughs> and I think there is some correlation between the two anyways, but um, a couple of weeks know, ago,
1: I've seen that. That's
2: right. Yeah, yeah You saw that? You saw that same thing? Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was fascinating. I saved it. I'm, I'm try- still trying to unpack it and, and determine what the correlation is between the two. But certainly in the form of the great resignation, I think what ha- we saw during the period of this pandemic was similar to my experience of being bedridden for, for three months post-injury. I think, you know, as, as kind of a similar metaphor analogy, I think COVID what made us all bedridden to some degree. We all had time to sit back and reflect on the things that mattered most in our life. Um, And it actually provided this, this sort of national editing process that we all went through in our lives, right? Like we started to realize that our weekends were so packed before COVID and all of a sudden we've got all this time on our hands. We're like, you know what, we're still doing okay. And in fact, we're still happy without all of those things and having our schedules filled and going into the office. and. You know, it, 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 we I think we came to this this universal realization as a country, and as basically as a species, yep. that we kind of needed this pandemic editing process of our lives to say what is absolutely necessary to keep us going, keep us motivated, motivated, keep us happy, um, and what are the things that were just unnecessary. and And I think that is is causing to some degree this you know great resignation. I think we're probably going to, you know, shoot the pendulum a little bit too much. People are going to start yep. to realize that they have to make a living and come back. But at the same time, as getting people to think about what really matters in their lives. Is it flexibility? Is yep. it freedom? Is it the money? Is it being close in vicinity to the people that you care about? Um, I think all of those are coming in question. And I think the bigger challenge is going to be companies having to figure out what are the behavioral changes as a result of the pandemic that now the workforce is essentially going to have to adapt to to attract those types of uh, of talent.
1: You know, and, and it's interesting, and I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the balance because you kind of said you know pendulum will swing one way, uh, but just you know a quick comment. I mean, we're seeing kind of in our network of health coaches, it's very much of a I'll say gig economy profession and becoming more so. We have nurses that are leaving the the hospitals because they realize they can't help people anymore inside the healthcare system and becoming health and wellness coaches to help somewhat outside of it, even though the two worlds are now coming together. Um, But, you know, maybe just uh, uh, touch on it. And that's a little bit of the interesting portion. I mean, there are coaches that are working full time, but are now swinging more towards this, you know, freedom of working with their own clients, uh, et cetera. Talk to us a little bit more about what does balance look like in this world, right, Uh, especially great resignation post-COVID, at some point will be officially post-COVID in a sense that from a pandemic declaration, not necessarily it's going away anywhere, but.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think balance is 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 going to be different for different, you know, for different people. It depends on sort of what they're what they're prioritizing. Yeah. Um, and we've always talked about this element of work life balance. I I think that delineation is essentially disappearing. Um, I think work life is a single word. It's almost like a it's it's almost like a one word um it's uh, just scenario life. now. It's just life. <laughs> it's and just and life. work is it's work is a part of that. And yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, th- this notion of having, you know, life coaches, health coaches, well coaches, whatever it is that you want to define um, uh, is going to, you know, expand uh, exponentially over the next couple of years for sure. And that's because people are trying to figure out what that balance is. And it's hard to, it's one thing to be self-aware, it's, but it's another thing to essentially develop you know, reflect on yourself and develop your own strategy. You almost need that third-party perspective to come in there and say, okay, um, you know, it might be hard for me to see all of the challenges that I am living with, but for somebody else, they can come in and basically give me an honest, truthful perspective of what my life looks like. Um, And getting set in that direction, you know, from some sort of coach, at least to to set me on the right path, I think is going to be uh, needed more and more so by, by different families across, across the country. Yeah.
1: Before we go into a, you are a doctor, uh, before we go into more of a scientific view of this, um, as a matter of fact, and I know you and I have discussions around, you know, get your own board of directors, right. Um, And, you know, I think as life's got reset, and I would even say uh, individual happiness standards got reset or re-looked at, uh, maybe talk a little bit about what what do you mean by that uh, as far as the board of directors for yourself?
2: Yeah, so this is actually something I can't really, you know, claim that I I came up with as a board of advisors, but uh, my good friend, Dr. Alex Haddad, who spends a lot of time at the end of life dealing with end-of-life patients, um, he and I are having this conversation. He said, listen, I've got a board of advisors who keeps me in check year round and that board of advisors for him consists mostly of his family. Um, but they sit around every quarter and they talk about what's working, not working and how can they improve themselves. But you can also extend that to other people around you. right? You can extend it to friends, you can extend it to colleagues and just sort of get a unbiased perspective an honest take on um, how you're operating in life. right? Are you doing things right? Could you be doing things better? Are you kind? Are you giving enough gratitude? All the things that are important to you, you can use your board of advisors um, as sort of a, a checks and balances to ensure that you're on the right path before things get astray. Um, one of the things, I mean, we've we've tried it a couple of times with our family, our kids were still a little bit young to truly grasp the concept, but um, we still do uh, an annual editing process. So my wife and I, uh, for our new year's resolution, rather than coming up with resolutions, we actually sit down and say, what are the things that we can live without? And, you know, part of happiness for us is simplifying our life We always felt that, you know, the the simpler it is, the happier we are. So at the end of the year, we tend to accrue things, things that we're doing, people that we're meeting, and we put all of these stresses on our lives. So we have this editing session at the beginning of each year and say, okay, these are the things we're now going to remove. We're going to start somewhat tabula rasa and then move forward the there. And and it does require this sort of annual reflection on terms of things that are important and not important in life and where to say no.
1: You know, uh, you bring up a super interesting point, right? Because that all requires change. And, you know, while people love to innovate, they hate change. And I know, again, you and I have had many of these discussions. And if you think about as a family unit, um, you know, uh, I love the concept of the resolutions. Uh, You turn that and say, you know, it's editing. But that requires behavioral changes for you as a family and sticking to them and setting those goals um, with that. So uh, let, let's get, you know, let's peel the onion. So wh- what does that actually mean from a happiness perspective on, uh, you know, as a doc, more on the neurochemical angle mm. of all of this, right? Uh, let, let, let's get to a little bit more science sort of behind it. Yeah,
2: yeah let's, let's dig into some of those. So b- before I jump into sort of the neurochemical aspects, of course, of happiness, I mean, change is a scary word, right, for a lot of people. Yeah. And of course, we're in the world of innovation. So change for us is just natural. Um, we don't get scared by it, but most of the world does, and we kind of need that checks and balances. And you don't need the whole world to be innovators and to be disruptors and to be change makers. You just need them to be able to adopt the changes that we recommend, right? Make it easy for them to be able to do that without having that element of fear of change, right? So I don't expect. I mean, for example, my wife is, you know, completely different in terms of being risk averse and not liking change and so forth. I'm the opposite. I love change, and I'm, um, you know, I embrace risk. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we both move towards the same goals that we we had set. Um, but it's biology, right? Like why, like, I'm I mean, going to talk about this in some of my talks all the time. Um, we tend to gravitate when we're faced with uncertainty and change, we gravitate, our biology wants us to gravitate towards the mean, right? Yep. We find safety in numbers. Um, and that's kind of what we're experiencing in the world as well, right? That's why these companies and start startups, et cetera, have, have, tough challenges in trying to get behavioral adoption, because most people are very resistant to change, right? I think we all, we all know that. Um, getting into the neurochemical parts of things, and I think that actually circles, circles back with why Bhutan is having some challenges here as well. Um, there, there's different factors involved with uh, you know, the neurochemical aspect of, of happiness. One is, of course, and we'll talk about all four of these and we can unpack it, but there's dopamine. Right, mm-hmm. dopamine of course is the things that we all hear about right now in terms of those quick wins. We want those small wins, those small hits. It's the small the tweet, that like, right on that on the on the Instagram. Um, but then there's also the oxytocin component, and the oxytocin component is sort of the feel good aspect of things, right? It's the hug, it's the love, it's the compliment. Uh, you know, it's the reason we we like surrounding ourselves with children or pets or things like that, right? Um, that's the oxytocin component and the the feeling aspect of happiness. Um, then we have the serotonin aspect, which is sort of the adrenaline element of things, right? So taking a walk in nature, being outdoors more, getting a run in, you know, having those types of activities also contribute to our happiness. And lastly, there's the endorphin piece, right? It's the it's the being around friends and laughing, and uh, you know, it could include. Uh, uh, you know, exercising as well as part of the endorphins or eating certain types of foods. I, so it's not either or. I think all of these different neurochemicals play a factor uh, in terms of our overall happiness, but we tend to focus mostly the, these days on the dopamine piece simply because, you know, we, we've got all of these little gadgets surrounding us pinging at us and the
1: instant gratification right and i think the the danger that we're all in um and is that those dopamine surges are mistaken for happiness right yes
2: totally agree and in fact it's funny because you you look at uh from 2006 onward if you look at some of the research so so bhutan had been doing the global national happiness index and studying their outcomes from 19, I think 1970 or 72 onward, and there was a complete shift starting in 2006. Mm-hmm. So what happened in 2006 is they started adopting Western technologies and Western food bases, and all these different things that we, you know, people all of a sudden are glued to the internet, they're glued to their phones, they're glued to all these different social media platforms, and their happiness index started to decline. So there was definitely this correlation between you know the devices that yep. we use. And our level of happiness, and I think that needs to be correlated when we talk about like this importance of having health coaches. It's, 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 it's having some sort of a device diet, uh, you know, that might be required down the road in order to ultimately achieve happiness.
1: You know, uh, I mean, you, you you brought this back as far as even kind of goal setting, and uh, back to a little bit of what you do as a family and editing things, right? The, the interesting part is you can't prescribe any of this. And that's what, you know, coaches don't prescribe anything, right? At the end of the day, it's around understanding your goals. In your case was as a family. And this is, in you know, in case of a client coach relationship, right? But, you know, there's also the reverse, right? So I think, you know, we've talked about as a society now, everything from lack of sleep to overall, uh, you know, I'll say well-being status um, and the the reverse, the unhappiness drives a lot of that. Maybe you can t- talk a little bit about that, kind of what, what, and how, and our physical health, um, and and well-being. After all, we are at a health and well-being coaching conference here.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it, the 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 correlation between physical health and our well-being is 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 not just a, a mental state. I mean, we can see the implications in our bodies, right? So there's this great book, uh, at, you know, perfectly called. It's called Heart. Uh, mm-hmm. Written by Sandeep Johar. He's uh, he's a physician himself and a and a writer for the New York Times. And it was really fascinating because we were having this this discussion um, around how literally your emotional state.
0: The thing about health coaching is brought to you by Your Coach Health, the only operating system for behavior change powered by health coaches. We help a growing roster of industry partners stand up or augment their health coaching operations with the largest supply of validated health coaches and proprietary technology for seamless integration.
1: We are the premier virtual home for health and wellness coaching. An ecosystem built to empower health coaches while expanding access to their services through our industry partnerships. To find out more, head over to yourcoach.health or yourcoachhealth on all the socials.
0: Join us on the health coaching revolution as we strive to deliver the power of health coaching to the eight and a half billion global population by 2030
2: impacts the physical nature of your heart. Like it's basically a digital, it's a it's a physical blueprint of your emotional state. If you're stressed, your heart feels it. If you're happy, your heart feels it. And so uh, you can apply that across your entire, uh, you know, body system, your human system. So, you know, how you fall on that spectrum, and it's not just happiness. I think happiness is part of that emotional state of well-being, um, can impact different parts of your uh, of your body, right? So there's stress on breathing, there's stress on our brains, there's stress on our heart. Uh, you know, there, there's stress on our muscle. All of these different things are essentially a physical bio imprint of the of the of the emotional states and the well-beings that we are and we tend to keep these as separate elements so clearly just as as like this whole movement of um food as medicine by people like you know william lee and 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 mark hyman and and a number of others uh the same thing here as we as we focus sort of on our mental well-being Uh, that is also uh, part of medicine. Because if we can heal that element, we can also heal our immune system and heal better in our physical bodies as well. And they're very intercorrelated, but we tend not to think of it that way.
1: Uh, I'll grab onto the word you said, flow state. And I think many people in, uh, in the healthcare profession are looking at a lot of this as cuckoo voodoo science sometimes. But I think there's early evidence emerging, everything from flow state, gratitude, purpose, uh, so you know i'm i'm going from dopamine to now let's call it feelings right that are now being able to be quantified and studied can you talk a little bit more so kind of double click on you, you started with flow state but gratitude purpose and importance of that in happiness
2: yeah i mean i think these are all some of those like i talked about the the intrinsic and extrinsic factors that are contribute to the spectrum of happiness i think it you know there there's clearly I mean, we have research and science and evidence around some of these individual things. There's clearly science that shows individuals who practice gratitude tend to have better emotional states and well-beings, which then tend to have better physical well-being as well. Um, same goes for those who can achieve uh, flow state. Uh, same goes for those... have better social connections, right? This great book by Vivek Mm -hmm. Murthy, um, I believe was called Together, talking about the loneliness epidemic and how that's contributed to our um, physical demise in terms of our our health and well-being. Um, So I think taken all together, um, you know, there is no true evidence to say like, listen, we're going to, you know, flow state, gratitude, purpose, uh, uh, connectedness, all of that, you know, improves the physical well-being, but I think we'll get there, right? This is kind of like Um, you know, if you look at food as medicine, that was initially called, you know, functional medicine or integrated medicine that was considered quack medicine not long ago, right? Seven to 10 years ago that we were all calling it quack medicine. Now it's real science. Um, and I think we're probably going to see more and more of the same here, uh, in this space as, as the studies start to unfold and and truly show real benefits. The problem is we don't know what to measure, right? I think that's a big challenge too.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, we did uh, as your coach uh, when we sort of came onto the scene. We did a pretty large report, um, and we did parse through. I mean, there's something like almost two hundred clinical trials, uh, sort of with and w- without health and wellness coaching, surrounding everything from therapeutic areas, et cetera. And so, to your to your point, I mean, we're we are starting to see science behind a lot of the techniques, uh, which you know, which has been around. So. Um, maybe let, let's go a little bit about, you know, as we're talking about health and wellness coaching, a key component of this is, you know, I think, you know, as you identify your goals um, and set certain parameters for yourself, at the end of the day, it's about showing up as well as an individual um, and uh, forming or changing your habits uh, because health and wellness coaches are agents of behavioral change. So maybe talk a little bit about happiness and creating habits and how those mm. two correlate well, yeah, yeah.
2: I, I think they're I, I, they're very intricately tied. I mean, I, I always like to say that um, uh, our habits are informed by our habitats, how we inhabit our homes, right? Our habits are formed by how we inhabit our homes, and and you can extend that even further. Our habits are formed by how we inhabit our our surroundings. Um, but uh, you know, clearly, you know, bad habits lead to you know bad things. Good habits lead to good things, right? I mean, I think there's this direct correlation. So uh, we know that if happiness is a choice and it's something that you can actually practice and you have to work at it. Um, And just like any other type of outcome that you're looking to achieve, Mm -hmm. you can create habits that encourage better happiness. So if you know what the inputs are, let's say intrinsically, we talk about flow state, we talk about gratitude. Um, Let me see, I think I've got, look at this. So I'm going to step for a second. I mean, things like this. So I've got these little index cards. And these are, I send these out to certain people every now and then. And these are tokens of gratitude. And it makes me feel good. It makes the other person feel good. But these are some of the intrinsic factors that we can essentially create habits that form happiness. And I think for everybody's, you know, for every individual it's going to be different in terms of what those habits need to be. Um, and I think that's where coaching can really come into service in terms of helping identify here are some things that you can put into practice, you know, over time develop some happiness and we can see if it improves your happiness over the course of time. Um, but then there's also the extrinsic factors, right? So for me, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you know, I'm a doctor who's who strayed from actually seeing patients and and, and working on the business side, but with a family of, of doctors um, and, you know, a whole network of people who are friends that were also doctors, uh, you know, that, of course, took a toll on my psyche yep. in terms of, um, you know, my personal happiness, because I felt like I wasn't living up to other people's expectations of, of what they expected of me. Um, but the minute I stopped focusing on things like that and created habits to essentially be self-aware... Uh, and focus on my own uh, well-being versus being worried about what other people thought of me. Uh, you know, by creating those habits, made made me happier as well.
1: So you mentioned uh, again, obviously, as a doctor and being in a family of the doctors, um, you know, the big, big question here is: Can you be sick and happy? Right?
2: I, I, for sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, I I think it even ladders up to this question. Let's just say, for example. Um, I mean, there were some great studies, even again, for my friend, uh, Alex Haddad, who's trying to go around and study positive health behavior around the world. Um, you know, he, he dealt with a lot of cancer patients and, uh, he always found it, uh, really interesting. The fact that you could, uh, be with stage four cancer and have five months to live and still consider yourself healthy. And the reason why they consider themselves healthy Right is because happiness was a big factor and component in terms of how they were defining their health. It didn't necessarily have to mean that I was in the best physical shape of my life, but they prioritized happiness or their well-being mm-hmm. um, as as one of the the key uh, components of, of of defining their health. And so, can you be, be sick and happy? Absolutely. Um, so I, you know, I it's funny because even when I had my injury, uh, and I didn't, you know, everyone, you know, kept you know saying, you know felt sorry for me or felt bad and actually i actually felt the happiest at some point during my injury because it actually forced me to sort of live in this this new reality um where i ended up defining my own personal mantra called go be do uh and uh, we can talk about that separately but uh you know that to me was yes i wasn't in the best best health shape of my life i had this debilitating injury i lost a lot of things that i couldn't do i couldn't run all around my kids at the time but I would say that you know I had entered this period where I actually felt happier than before. So you, can you, you be happy th- and sick? Yes.
1: You, you can't leave us all hanging. Go be do.
2: <laughs> so go, go be do. a little deeper is, on that. So this is kind of related to my, my annual edit in terms of what matters in life to me. But uh, go be do stands for go to interesting places, be with interesting people, and do interesting things. And so for me, uh, you know, being faced and bombarded with a lot of input, a lot of things coming at me, a lot of opportunities, can we do this, get involved with this? So I needed a filter in my life to determine what things I'm going to say yes to and what things I'm going to say no to. And I define that filter by things that make me happy and unhappy. And so I am happiest right, when I'm surrounded by things that make me interested, yep. right? And so for me at this point in my life, and that might change in five years or one year or 10 years, and it was probably different five years ago. But for me, my filter is on everything interesting. So if I'm not gonna go to places that I'm not interested in going to, right? I'm not gonna waste my time. I'm not gonna be with people that aren't interesting to me or have an interest in things that I have to say to them, right? And I'm not gonna do or get involved with anything that I don't personally feel is interesting. And so if it doesn't fit that filter that's my easy no
1: amazing um and and I'll, i i'll second that uh for for sure and for all of us but um
2: you know maybe one, and, and it, one... again, i get and circling back to the habit piece of that so mm-hmm. you know initially i i wasn't you know staying true to the go be do filter so what i did is i created a t-shirt and a hat and a bunch of all this stuff to remind me Everywhere I look is go be do. And so it created this habit of now, you know, utilizing that filter in in everything that I evaluate. And uh, again, I I created the habit in order to, you know, achieve what I was trying to achieve in terms of a goal perspective.
1: You know, I, I want to touch on one subject that I know you and I have spoken about, and we've talked about everything from, uh, not not here, but in, in general, as, as, a, as a conference, as, uh, as your coach, we talked about food as medicine, um, you know, laughter as medicine. Um, I want to actually double clip because you kind of, in your go-be-do, it's interesting things and stories, right? And um, and I know, uh, you know, I've gotten addicted to your uh, superhuman um, podcast. Thank um, you. And, yeah. and it, it is a fascinating way to experience people's lives and their unhappiness, but also happiness, uh, to, to, you know, and, and as they achieve, talk to us a little bit about stories as medicine, um, and especially how these stories can actually build, you know, happiness for us as human beings. I,
2: I, uh, you know, related to all of those personal experiences that I had, I came to this realization, um. That, you know, especially when I had my injury, I felt like I was very alone, um, to be honest. And I, I felt like, you know, no one else can really relate to me uh, and, and undergo and, and, you know, what I've, what I've gone through. Um, and as I started digging more into stories, and of course, as someone who gives keynote talks, I, you know, by, by, by nature, we're, we're, and you too, we're both storytellers, right? We love to, to share lessons based around stories. Uh, but I, what I realized is, um, you know, stories are a way for us to connect. Right. Oftentimes we're lonely because we feel that there's someone else who can't relate to what I'm going through. And this is especially the case in healthcare, right? We feel that we're alone in our experiences or, or the issue that we're going through. Um, but the reality is it's not just from a condition standpoint. We're all going to experience these different hardships and challenges. And so stories give ourselves permission to see ourselves in other people's stories. And so that's the purpose of what superhumans is about. Like, Yes, an individual is sharing their story, but now me listening to it, I no longer feel alone. Like, oh, someone else is going through it and someone else that I can relate to. And now it gives me permission to have a dialogue or a conversation about it without putting blame on myself or making myself vulnerable. And, and so we felt like, you know, as we per- were putting out these stories, um, it was having a greater and greater impact with individuals and listeners who were listening to it that we didn't even realize was, was the case when we, when we first put it together. And in fact, it was actually having a personal impact on, on us personally creating it. I mean, people yeah. giving you the gift of opening up their personal lives um, was the greatest gift we could ever ask for, and and so uh, you know, superhumans. I think prescribing stories as a form of medicine um, needs to be done more and more so because I think we can all collectively heal if we just had more open dialogue, especially about some of the things that we consider you know that are being stigmatized in this marketplace. But it's great to see you know less and less of this, or, or more and more of destigmatization yeah. happening in terms of mental health and. And And the conversation opening up around there. So we're just har- hoping to play a small piece in that.
1: No, and we will uh, absolutely share the uh, link to superhumans uh, oh, to our you. amazing global audience here. You know, um, we're coming somewhat to an end in, uh, of, of our discussion here, even though I think I can talk for hours uh, and, and you and I do, uh, but maybe, you know, I, I always wish on on people's birthday, I wish people just health and happiness because most of the rest of the things can just be simply bought, right? Um, and I think, you know, we've just talked now for, for quite a while about, uh, you know, health and wellness as coaching and, and behavior changes and all of that, reaching the happiness levels that we all want to be. I know you also have a favorite Mark Twain's line. So maybe just, you know, in the last couple of minutes, um, just go, go through that and what that means to you. Um, and I think how that actually touches on, on happiness and what can people take away from our discussion?
2: Yeah, no, thank, thanks for bringing that up. It's actually a, a quotation that I, that I mentioned at the tail end of my, my TEDx talk from 2012. And, and it still sticks with me today. But Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day, day you discover why um and i completely uh, agree with that and i think that circles back to this element of of what's your purpose and meaning um you know now that i'm you know way above 40s now um uh, I, I think the the latter half of my life if if i were to consider that the latter half of my life um you start to think about these things right you're starting to face with mortality um you're starting to see sickness in in your own self uh most of us uh, or many of us have have kids so you're starting to see sort of this this element of 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 what is the purpose of life why am i here Um, and it's sad to see, I think a lot of people go through life, never understanding that why, um, and, uh, you know, they sit on their deathbed at the end of life and and they live a life full of regrets. Um, and so for me, that is probably my biggest fear. I don't want to be at the end of life, which could be next week, right? It could be next week. It could be next month. It could be five years. It could be 50 years from now, whenever that time period comes, I don't want to live a life full of regrets. And so for me, what's at the top of my pyramid is health and happiness, because without that, nothing else actually matters. Does it matter how much wealth I have? Does it matter all the material things that I surround myself with? Like all of the health and happiness, if you don't put up that as a priority of your focus, um, which includes include minimizing life's regrets and eliminating some of that suffering, um, then nothing else really matters. So that should be the focal priority for almost everyone on this planet. We tend not to really focus on it until, you know, some big struggle in our life. You know, the younger kids tend not to focus on this type of stuff. But um, again, you know, we could, uh, you know, help, you know, set the, the environment for them to, to try to achieve uh, this sort of optimal state of happiness.
1: So the tagline of the conference is healthy, happy human. And I know we just spent 40 minutes or so talking about it. What does that mean to you, Dr. G? Happy, healthy human.
2: You know, I, I, a healthy, happy human. I mean, it's peace with self. Uh, you know, Love I think it. I think that is, and that's a very individualized state, right? Yeah. I, I think we talked about, you know, I, I can't, you know, sit here and tell you this is this is the answer and the definition of how to achieve happiness. I think anyone who claims that they can. Is, yep. is blowing smoke. Um, I think to every individual it's different. I think what we can do is try to understand the different components of it um, and, and individualize on that and have a lot of self-awareness. But once you come to sort of that uh, self-awareness of peace that I'm happy with the things that where they're going and if I were to die tomorrow, I'm happy with the things that I'm doing today and I would die in peace as a result of that. So um, you know, starting with that mortality, peace in mind of knowing that you could die any second are you satisfied and happy with the way things are right now at this very moment and if not start to make some changes and if you don't know how to make the changes get the right coach to help you to do that
1: and on that note thank you very much for joining us for a wonderful conversation and for all the viewers and listeners to this enjoy the rest of the day here with us at the global health and well-being coaching symposium
2: this was fun thanks for having me jean